What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Crawford Talks. Happy Star Wars Day. Um, Mike, how are you doing today? Jake, I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, Doing okay. We were just talking off air a little bit about what we wanted to talk about today, and we're going to jump around a little bit to a few different topics. Um, You know, some more, more evergreen Astros topics. I, on the athletic.com, uh, Monday today, as we speak, had a new Astros mailbag posted. Uh, a lot of great questions on this mailbag, so appreciate everyone who, who submitted them. But we we're going to talk about a couple of the topics on there that uh, that really stuck out as as interesting, and also uh, a few of the newsier things that happened late last week that we didn't touch on uh, when we had Robert Ford on on Thursday's episode. That's right. And make sure you guys check out uh, that episode, the latest episode of the Crawford Talks. So when we went kind of into Robert's career, uh, some tips from him, getting to the major leagues, all that kind of stuff. Really good episode, uh, we both thought. So, Jake, I think a couple things kind of caught my eye in looking at the mailbag, things I think we can kind of jump off of. So we had somebody asked you... uh, if the 2020 season doesn't happen, and obviously we dearly hope that it does, and let's say the Astros lose some of their big free agents, George Springer, Michael Brantley, what is the strategy going into 2021 as the Astros championship window appears to be closing? I, I think this this is a fascinating question. Like, Let's say the whole season's canceled, then you lose some major free agents, including the, the biggest one being George Springer. And I wonder what those conversations are like between Jim Crane, uh, James Click, what the organizational outlook is going to be if that actually happens. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating question that, you know, whether there's a season or not is going to be a topic. Uh, if there's if there is a season, it's, those guys are still free agents. And it's, you know, I think we talk about George Springer, Michael Brantley the most, but Yuli Gurriel is also... Uh, an important one there. So yes, those are like, like the big three, I would say, for for the free agent class uh, on the Astros side. Yeah, what do you do? I, I think, um, and my answer to the, and we should shout out Kyle G for the question. Good question, Kyle. One of two questions from Kyle that made the mailbag. I, for me, I, I think a lot of it depends on what the Astros think they, they have in their farm system. Um you know, for 2021, they still would have, say Springer leaves, say Brantley leaves, say Gurriel leaves. They'd still have a good team in 2021 between Bregman, Altuve, Alvarez, Correa, Verlander, Grinke, and McCullers. That's still like a, a really strong core. Agreed. The question is Correa, Verlander, Grinke, and McCullers are in walk years at that point, And the farm system by the external rankings is among the worst in the majors. Uh, so for me, it really depends on if the Astros agree with those assessments. I, I get the sense that they think it's at least slightly better than that, but how much better? And is it, you know, is it, are, are the external rankings way off to the point where they think they'll be fine? So I think, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if they know the answer to that. And it might, they might need more information that we might not get this year because there might not be a minor league season. But, uh, yeah, I, I think just, it's, it's a really interesting so question for, for James Click. Well, the other thing, Jake, I was thinking about is 
One quote that stands out to me, and I don't know if this was this offseason, but it's at some point, I think, in the last, I'll say, eight months. And I've said this quote on the podcast before where Jim Crane said, hey, you know, we live, we as an organization, like, we live in West U, we don't live in, in River Oaks. So they're rich, but they're not, like, wealthy. And so they're not financially in the same position as the Yankees or the Dodgers or probably the Cubs and the Red Sox. I think that was a really good analogy to use. And the reason, Jake, I bring it up here is because... You know, all right, you think about losing players, how do you replace them? Well, you also lose the money. So I don't know what websites you use when it comes to like who, uh, payrolls, but, and I never know if SpotRack is 100% accurate. Let's assume it's like 80%. They have the Astros right now as the third highest payroll in baseball in 2020 at $206.5 million. So let's say they lose Springer, Brantley, Gurriel. If we do back-of-the-napkin calculations, that means that you're losing $21 million Springer this year, 16 Brantley. Josh Reddick uh, is going to be gone. That's $13 million. Gurriel, 8.7. So you're losing a significant amount of money. Obviously, You'll have guys with raises and the next year their contracts, but there will be that money to theoretically spend. Like they're going to have to, I assume, Jay, go out on the free agent market or some maybe the trade market and bring in a player or two if they were to hypothetically lose all of those free agents. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think, I, yeah, I think. They would definitely have more payroll flexibility at that point to spend, whether that's on George Springer or Michael Brantley or Yuli Gurriel or someone else. Um, yeah, I think that it's going to be really, it's going to be, and I feel like I probably say this every offseason, but it's like a pivotal offseason um, in James Click's first offseason as a GM. Uh, that'll come up um, next November, December, whenever the 2020 season ends. Um you know, I guess that could be later than usual if they if they do play this year. Uh, yeah, I think um, it's it, it's going to be really interesting to see which way they go. I, I think, you know, given all the players that are coming back in 21, uh, like I said, they're going to be pretty good. But like it's it's a matter of like, do they want to set themselves up better for 22 and beyond? Um, yeah. We're already or, or do they think they're they're already set up for that? I, I mean, like we, we can't forget that they. Jordan Alvarez is going to be with them for a while. Uh, Kyle Tucker, if he pans out, you know, they do have some some good young players, but do they have enough to prolong the window is, is the question. Yeah, they're going to be in one of those tricky scenarios where if you're if you already have certain kinds of players, like they're going to have Altuve, they're going to have Bregman. Those are like the most important core guys moving forward. So even if you offloaded some players by not re-signing them and having payroll flexibility. I find it, Jake, unrealistic that James Click and Jim Crane can sit there and be like, well, let's like completely rebuild where the franchise is because they're going to be too good even at that point to get really high draft picks to re to fully reload the farm system. And so I, I think as long as those guys, probably particularly Altuve, are in uniform, that they're going to try to do as much as they can right now to supplement the roster the next year or two or maybe three and try and be as competitive as possible. I think past that, it is... It's almost impossible in May of 2020 to really figure out what's going to happen beyond that point. Yeah, we're predicting or we're projecting like what how the young players uh, develop, right? Like, you know, it, it, player development is so tricky because like there's players that pop out of nowhere. There's players who bust. You just don't know who's going to 
who's going to like pan out. Um, you know, and unfortunately there might not be a minor league season to see that this year. Um, and that, that could play into it too, is you don't have as much information as usual on your own system. But, you know, I, I, yeah, it's, it's going to be really like, I keep, I feel like I'm a, a broken record here, but really fascinating, like crossroads for, for James Click. Do you consider trading one, like a, a guy like Correa before his final season to replenish the system? Um, you know, I, I don't think it's that simple because you're still banking on prospects at that point. How many times have we seen teams do that and the prospects don't mm-hmm. amount to anything? Um, you know, I'm thinking of like when the Phillies had Cliff Lee and and they they traded him and then and then traded for Roy Halladay. Um, they could have had all, you know, both of them at the same time, but they wanted to you know, make sure the cupboard wasn't bare, uh, so to speak. And none of those prospects panned out. So like, it didn't matter. Like they could have had, they, they, they could have had this amazing rotation a year early. Um, so, you know, that kind of stuff is, you know, you have to think about, uh, I think teams value prospects more than they used to. So like, you might not get as much as you used to in that scenario. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, their farm system is, is interesting because it has a lot of like young arms that could be something, but are far away or need a lot to go right. Um, you know, but the a big reason that they are so far down in the rankings is because both Alvarez and Tucker graduated. And, you know, if Alvarez is one of the best young players in baseball, like you're penalizing uh, the system because he graduated, but like he's still with the team through 2025 or whatever it is. Yes, that makes sense. And one other one question that you also got from uh, this was from Jason M. Even with the absence of play, he assumes that if the Astros wanted to sign any of their pending free agents to an extension, they would have been working on that. And if we haven't a word about an extension now, it's not happening. Should we essentially abandon any hope of contract extensions until after the 2020 season is over? So, Jake. I think you pointed out, well, right now, rosters are frozen, so no transactions can happen. Uh, I think beyond that, I think you and I might differ a little bit on this because I think that the the giant unknown of what's going to happen this season makes it really hard for me to figure out what the free agent market is going to be like for these players. So, for instance, if I was George Springer, if I was Michael Brantley, I would be, particularly Springer, I would be more scared about what's going on now as opposed to being optimistic that, hey, if they cancel the season, I'm just going to hit the open market because we have no idea what the open market's going to look like. I mean, to extend it further, if I was Mookie Betts, I'd be a little bit terrified because if Mookie was thinking about making 300 or $400 million, how the heck are we going to know if teams are going to even have that money to spend with the revenue situation in baseball right now? Yeah, it... You know, it's it's pretty much impossible, especially for us on the outside to um, with with we don't have the books, right? Like we don't have the the team's revenues. They don't share that stuff with us, uh, really, especially in the Astros case. So, like, I don't we don't know how the market's going to look. They don't know how the market's going to look. The players don't know. So I think there's so much unknown that you would in that situation, you probably just would wait it out and see how it plays out. Um, I also just don't think like once, once, you know, hopefully MLB gets to go ahead to resume. Like I, I don't think, 
you know, there's so much else going on and, you know, teams are reckoning with the economic implications. Players are, are going to try to get ready um, for the season. I, I think like extensions are going to be way down the priority list. I also think they had plenty of time to do this stuff before. And, um, you know, when you have a new GM, when you have a team embroiled in scandal, when you have uh, a team that, as we just discussed, looks to be nearing the end of its championship window, those factors don't really align for players to sign contract extensions. Counter argument. Who does it, though, align to sign contract extensions? Like, are there teams, for instance, for, for example, right now, that are more likely to sign George Springer than were not, let's say, three months ago? I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't. I just like think that in general, players would rather be free agents than sign contract extensions. Uh, Agreed, just, definitely. Just to see what is out there and what will happen. Um, I, you know, I think like Astros fans maybe got a little spoiled last year with all the extensions that or last two years, really, with Altuve, Bregman, Verlander, Presley in the last two spring yes. trainings. I, I don't think that's normal. And it wasn't normal before that, right? Um, so I, I think... Um, I, I kind of tend to be on the side of like, don't really like the extensions never seem likely. And then sometimes they just happen. But, um, even before this, uh, I never really th- expected extensions. Like I said, like, I don't know the all the, you, all you the, never expect them though. Right. Exactly. I don't. Um, I just think like in general, you, you know, if you're a player, it's, it's, you know, everyone wants to get to free agency and that's like what we should expect unless there's an indication uh, otherwise that a player is willing to forego that right. Here's here's my take. The Astros are more likely to re-sign George Springer with all this uncertainty than they were beforehand. Now, I don't know, Jake, if we'll figure out if I'm right about that because I because if you ask me in March and you and I talked about this, odds are Odds on favorite was going to be that he was going to leave, but I would say maybe 80-90%. Now I think with the uncertainty plus the scandal, maybe an incentive to kind of, you know, I'm trying to think of the, the right phrase I'm looking for, like as a goodwill gesture, uh, it's going to cost you a significant amount of money for a goodwill gesture. I get it. But I think the Astros would be a little bit more likely to re-sign Springer based on uncertainty in the market and what's gone on. I don't know if I'll end up being right, nor do I know how you can even determine that because I still think that he's more likely to leave than to stay if he actually does hit free agency. But that's the way I'm mentally thinking about what's happened in the last two months. Yeah, I mean, the odds are always once a player hits free agency that he's going to sign with one of 29 other teams rather than one of one teams, right? It's just that's the math. Yes, the math. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think this whole thing is so hard to 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 really project like i think that's you know hopefully there's a season soon and we can start to discuss you know um more of like the player stuff but like i I don't know it's going to be you know coming off of last free agent season everyone thought you know look at how these guys are getting paid like everyone's going to go to free agency again you know extensions are probably gonna um be less so than they were the previous year but now, with, with all the economic implications of this and baseball, of the coronavirus pandemic and baseball, I don't, I don't think anyone knows. And I think anyone who tells you they knows, they know, um, probably doesn't actually know. So, like, it's, it's just yeah. impossible to really 
we don't know how much longer you know baseball is going to be shut down for one like you know if it comes back that that changes the calculus too so um there's just so much unknown no doubt I, this is one of those times in life in general where i think that the baseball and the coronavirus like we both have the same kind of standard, which is the smartest thing that I've read is basically don't trust anybody who says that they know exactly what's going to happen. That it's an unknown, big picture, uh, small picture, and we're just going to have to become as comfortable with that uncertainty as we reasonably can. Now, something else, Jake, that you were asked, I think dovetails into some of the things that have been in the news and been reported on by uh, Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellick in The Athletic. Uh, there was a question, uh, let's see, it was by uh, Steve D who asks you as major league baseball considers a shorter draft do you think this actually might help players by being able to sign with a team that best fits their developmental needs or has a good track record with someone similar to them instead of being pigeonholed into the team that drafts them so the draft can be as few as five rounds this year they're negotiating right now the union and Major League Baseball on how long the actual draft is going to be. There are going to be big financial considerations. And Jake, it seems like the players who are eligible for the draft are going to have to weigh, okay, is it better to have my pick of teams with with smaller dollar figures, uh, or is it better to just come back to college or actually go to college if you're a high school player and take a chance that the draft is back to normal in a year or two or three and the money's back to normal. Yeah, I don't think... Um, well, so the question is whether the draft's going to be five rounds or ten rounds and also how many... The, you know, MLB wants to place limits on how many undrafted free agents teams can sign for 20000 and then after that they can sign players for 5000 we're talking really small bonuses here relative to the usual either sixth round pick or 11th round pick uh, and beyond in, in either scenario. So, no, I don't think it's good for draftees. Maybe you could argue the late round senior signs, the, the college seniors who would have been gone in the 31st round. It's it's better for they can choose their organization, but odds are those players probably aren't making the majors anyway. Um they very rarely do. I think, you know, $20,000 is a very small uh, foundation to start your your pro career when you're about to make very, very little money for the next six or seven years if, if, yes. you, if you get that far. Um, so, no, I don't think there's any, like, really good aspects of this. I think it's, you know, you're going to see a lot, you know, college juniors – the elite ones are going to go in the draft, but the ones who don't go, I think are going to return for their senior year. Uh, you know, there's going to be like a, a higher percentage of college juniors who return for their senior year. There's going to be a higher percentage of high school seniors going to college, even if it's just a junior college. Um, and I don't know if we're going to see a normal draft next year either. You know, like if there's no, like, I don't think it's going to be easy to evaluate the current junior class for next oh, year's yeah. draft. And um, I, yeah, we are truly in, we are truly in some really uncharted territory here. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess mean, you could say if you're a high school senior, maybe you, you bank on the draft being better in three years, you know, but because yeah, three years is a long enough time horizon. Yeah. But yeah, if it's, yeah, it's a tough time. And I think it was supposed to be like a really good draft this year. If it had been the regular 40 rounds, um, well, so let me, I feel bad for all those those prospects. 
I agree. Well, particularly because their their rights are basically being negotiated by an entity that, that doesn't really fully represent them in the MLBPA, which is another whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, Jake, as we're talking through this, I'm kind of thinking as we're talking about it. I'm wondering if this kind of dynamic is going to help or hurt the Astros, especially when we think about the years. So I agree with what you're saying that this money, when you're th- when you're talking about like starting a professional career is pretty low, even $20,000, particularly like the latest thing that Evan and Ken had was, you know, one of the proposals by the league MLB was teams can sign an unlimited number of players after the draft at $5,000 or below. Well, that's basically pocket change. That That's basically nothing when you think about it. they're going to have to try to live on this money. So, if fewer players, fewer talented players are in this draft, does that help or hurt the Astros minus the first and second round pick? How does it affect next year's draft? And if there are overall, and I don't know how to calculate this, but if there are like fewer talented players this year and next year, then I guess they're the organization that's bailed out the most because they're missing those four premium picks in 2020 and 2021. Yeah, I think you could argue it both ways, right? You could argue that side that um, by the time they get their picks back, uh, the drafts will be better because of like the the trickle down of these drafts and players, mm-hmm. you know, not either either going to college or staying in college. Um, it kind of like pushes back some of the talent to later drafts, but at the same time, uh, I think there's still going to be a lot of good players taken in these these next two drafts and. You know, when you have, say, it's only five rounds and they only have four picks because they have, they do have the Garrett Cole comp pick. Um, just having fewer picks, you know, it, it's going to give them less prospects, right? And they're already dealing with a farm system that's ranked near the bottom, um, yep. so they're going to have, you know, lower percentage of picks for two years in a draft where there's not many picks to begin with hurts them. So I think you could argue it both ways, and maybe those two factors kind of even out in the end in terms of. Um, you know, it, it's a punishment and it's going to hurt them. I think we're going to see some kind of think piece on this in like, you know, five years or so that that's going to study exactly what happened here and whether it helped or hurt the Astros. But we're so we're, we're, we're not nearly deep enough into it. And we don't even know what the rules are going to be like. We don't know how many how many rounds are going to be this year. We don't know how many rounds are going to be next year. And all that's going to play a, a pretty considerable role into what the Astros farm system is going to look like moving forward here. Yeah, and on top of that, there's the whole looming, you know, minor league contraction issue where MLB wants to get down to 120 affiliates, yes. and so there's less players in the minors in that scenario, and it's just, there's just so much going on right now um, in the baseball world, like project that's going to impact five, ten years down the road that um, it's hard to really grasp all the things that are changing Um some of some of it because of the pandemic, some of it not, and you know what what things are going to look like in MLB in the next few years. Now, speaking of uh, the the COVID nineteen pandemic's impact on baseball, which is which is really just the major topic that dominates obviously all the conversations about baseball because every every part of it is, is touched by it. So we've also had some news, Jake, recently about what MLB is allowing teams to do as far as tickets. And I think when we did a mailbag, mailbag episode about two weeks ago, an audio mailbag you guys can uh, check out here on the Crawford Talks, uh, somebody had asked what the, what the strategy or the plan was going to be with tickets. And at that time, we didn't know because baseball, the league was going to kind of guide that. Well, 
since then, within the last week, MLB is allowing teams to offer refunds to fans for games that are not being played. So essentially, uh, it seems like baseball is allowing the teams, Jake, to set their own policies. And the Astros, if you go to MLB.com and you check out, they, they have an update on, on tickets. And basically what the deal is, if you have an individual ticket between, I think, April and you know May, essentially, if you have an individual ticket uh, for games scheduled originally through May 31st, the people who have individual tickets, as far as I can see, are probably in the best spot because they will get a refund directly to the credit card they use to buy the tickets. Now, if you're a full season ticket holder, if you're a partial season or like a mint, one of those package, one of those small package season holders, you're going to have to like work to get your money back because what they're going to do is they're going to either like apply it to your account. Uh, you can like you can use it as a credit towards any future games this season. You can also choose to apply the credit towards 2021. I mean, this is another thing. Like, man, if I'm a fan, Jake, and I I have an individual ticket, okay, I'm in good shape because I got my money back on my credit card. Okay, fine, that's clear, right? But if I'm one of these partial season or full season ticket holders, like I don't know how to look at this thing because. Okay, you're going to tell me I can get tickets later this year. Well, I don't think they're going to be fans this year. And then next year, I don't know what the hell is going to happen. Yeah, and you don't know what your own finances are going to be like, right? Like, there's just so much economic uh, uncertainty for everyone right now. Um, you know, so yeah, I I guess they it makes sense what these teams are doing. I'm pretty sure the Astros plan, I didn't read through every team's plan, but they seem to all be pretty similar uh, around the game um i didn't see any one team who was just like yeah no refunds that would be that would be quite a flex but um yeah i, I <laughs> that would be in this in these times yes <laughs> yeah but uh yeah it's you know it's it's it sounds like season ticket holders can get their refunds they just kind of have to work for it a little bit right write a letter put it in writing um that, that yeah, is I, I like, mean, this, yes. this isn't going to be the last we hear of this, right? Like, this is just through May 31st, and clearly there's not going to be games on June 1st. So um, I think teams are going to have to update this in the near future as well. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, and then you also you also wonder, as our producer Mike Zimmerman brought up before, you know, we started recording. If you're a fan evaluating 2021, it, you have no idea who's going to be on the team, who's not going to be on the team, what the success or lack thereof was in in 2020. It's a really challenging decision. I, I guess the one quote unquote good thing is. If you're actually applying the credit, then I guess technically it's a sunk cost. You've already paid the money, so it's not like, so it's not like you have to exactly wonder, well, how much money am I going to have next year? Yeah, and like, you, if you are a season ticket holder, I, I think a lot of season ticket holders probably um, do it year after year, right? And so they they probably will use that credit eventually, uh, whether it's I would think this so year yes. or next year. Uh, I think the, the plans around baseball make sense. Um, you know, I don't know what the alternatives, you know, like if would have like reasonable alternatives are or would have been or what people I, I didn't really see much fan reaction on this on, on Twitter um, either. So I, I figure if people were outraged, they might we probably would have caught wind of it. But again, there's there's going to have to be more of this because we were speaking on May 4th again, Star Wars Day. And 
you know, there's not going to be games on June 1st, um, at least regular season games. In best case scenario, um, in the even in the best case scenario, and so and these ticket plans, at least in the Astros case, they said this is four games through May 31st. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think you're right that we're going to have to figure out they're going to have to make changes to those once the time period kind of shifts backwards, because from everything I can tell, the best case scenario to start games this season in whatever form they are is going to be uh, July. Jake, before we wrap it up here, uh, what have you been watching? What have you been doing over the course of uh, the last couple of days since we last spoke? I watched Tombstone over the weekend. Have you ever seen Tombstone? Good movie. I have, I have actually seen Tombstone uh, on a radio show I used to do in 2012. They realized that I had not seen many great movies, so I, I watched that, one yeah. every week. Yeah, and I, I'd, I'd review one every single week, and Tombstone was on the list. That was one of those that like stands out to me as, like, I'm really glad I saw that movie. Yeah, it's a great, great Val Kilmer performance. Um, it is. I yeah. It's, there's parts of it that are kind of a mess, uh, and you can. There was a. It was like a really um, f- uh, difficult behind the scenes like production. There was like a couple different directors. I think Kurt Russell ended up directing like kind of quietly behind the scenes. Like there was a lot of um, discord. It sounds like on the set and and the production. But um, enjoyable movie. Uh, how about you? What what have you been watching? One more thing on Tombstone. I'll put it this way. Like, if you're listening to this and you have not watched Tombstone and you're looking for a movie that uh, it's not going to, like, overwhelm your emotions or anything like that and you just want to watch a good movie during this, you know, quarantine or whatever, whatever it is that we're doing right now, period, uh, Tombstone is definitely a good movie to watch during this period. Uh, so this weekend, I watched a movie. Have you ever heard of this movie called ACOD, which features uh, Adam Scott? <laughs> I have not. So it's adult children of divorce. Uh, I am not an adult child of divorce, but I watched this movie uh, this weekend. It's with Adam Scott, uh, Amy Poehler, uh, a couple of other people who I'm forgetting right now. It's uh, it's not bad, but I- I'm currently afraid to give any evaluations of movies based on when a week or two ago, I said I watched that movie Late Night, uh, which featured Mindy Kaling and Emma Thompson. I said it was pretty good. Jake hated it. So now I'm a little, uh, I'm a little self-conscious from my movie evaluations. This movie was, this a strong movie was word. okay. I didn't say hate. <laughs> I, I think you have, a, you have a more refined palate, a better taste for movies and shows than I do, but particularly movies. Well, I, I definitely watch a lot more than than you do. Um, I'm still yes. I'm still waiting for your your review of Parasite. Uh, that's right. That's right. I, I have not seen Parasite. That is on that is on my list. That that is on my list. I need to. How long is it, by the way? I because every every you know what what's, what's happening with me every weekend I'm scrolling through Netflix. Uh, I see uh, what is it the, uh, the the new mob movie that came out. I'm forgetting the name with. Uh, with Pesci and De Niro and all those guys. What's, what's the, the new one that just came out? The Irishman, yes. And I keep looking at it. I'm like, okay, I've got the time. I've got no excuses for it. But, like, damn it, this thing is three hours. Like, how, when, do I, when, when does anyone want to sit down for three hours and watch a movie? I'm still not at the watching, watching that movie stage. Like, I still have not brought myself to that point. 
Break it up. Pretend it's like a a mini series. I don't know. Uh, I've watched. Is it that twice, is that so acceptable? Is that an acceptable way? <laughs> okay. Do sure. you think that's an acceptable way for if I was like, all right, an hour and a half here and there, I can do it that way? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fine. Okay. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not against breaking movies up. If you're a little, if you have something else you want to do, I mean, especially in our jobs where news breaks randomly and you don't really predict when you're going to be working at certain hours. Um, I've definitely done that um but yeah i mean i get your point it's a commitment to to carve out time for for a movie that long uh i'm not sure how long parasite is i would guess like 220 if i were to guess but okay um i can do that all right that'll do it for this episode of the crawford talks he's jay kaplan i'm mike Meltzer. make sure you check out some of the great work uh, on the athletic and specifically some of uh, jake's work over the course of the last few days so the mailbag that we've been talking about a little bit on the astros which includes some questions also about the fallout from the sign stealing scandal what's going to happen after 2020 also really interesting story that jake uh, wrote last week about giovanni meyer who was the uh, former first round pick of the astros about 10 years ago who now is a cop in orange county make sure you check that out uh theathletic.com make sure you subscribe and you also get the great work as well not only of jake but also ken rosendahl and evan Drellick, who have been at the forefront of basically of every big story involving major league baseball and it seems like there are constant stories every single week he is jay kaplan i'm mike Meltzer. this is the crawford talks an astros podcast brought to you by the athletic the athletic